<laughs> the idea started with the Highland Park Elementary School third grade class. Sanity said. <laughs> the firefly. You know what the state's uh, insect of New York really should be? If you want an insect that is really classically typical of New York, it has to be the cockroach. Absolutely. And uh, we'd be the first state to stop fighting cockroaches and just go along with it, right? Uh, here, let's get the company's commercials out of the way first. I'll listen. One more question uh, that just has come in from one of our listeners. I promised to myself that I would not uh, at any point any longer mention streaking. Everybody, you know, streaking is going to be such a drag. Now, that can be interpreted several ways, but streaking has become, you know, everybody does certainly. But this is a question that I just could not ignore. It says, Dear Mr. Shepard, would you please give me some suggestions for creative streaking. Creative is the key word there, of course. Just running out and running through the weeds and jumping over, you know, a Volkswagen and cutting like hell to the fraternity house is not exactly creative. It just, you know, just takes a lot of good legwork. Now, the interesting point is that this was signed by a girl. Now, and, and her point is well taken. I think uh, creativity is possible in almost any art form and in any activity. One can be a creative duster if one dusts well in the house. Just put a little, you know, little creative legwork and some beautiful uh, wrist action. You can even dust to say the sounds of uh, the Swan Lake Ballet. And uh, dusting then becomes something that people would pay money to come in and see you do, right? And be worth uh, worthwhile. And the thing must have its own value as a creative uh, Subject, uh, you know, the, the idea that you have brought something creative to your work should be payment in itself. Now, since the question has arisen, is there such a thing as creative uh, streaking, and is it possible? Yes, it is possible. For example, uh, anyone who has ever attended uh, uh, what used to be known as a Burley House, you know, uh, has seen some pretty creative streaking in its time. And I would like to suggest, since you're a girl, there is a great act that uh, was a streaker, a uh, very highly paid streaking act, in which tassels of various colors were attached to uh, certain portions of the anatomy. A creative streaker who could get those tassels twirling in opposite directions as she streaked could very well get herself on the Johnny Carson show. If she knows a little bit about you know, have you seen that time? Then there was another great streaker uh, who... Uh, did not use uh, tassels, but used small sequin-covered propellers attached to certain uh, prominent portions of her anatomy. And uh, by moving in certain uh, uh, artistic uh, directions, using the muscles well, she could get her propellers going in two different directions. And quite <laughs> So I would like to suggest there's all kinds of possibilities. I don't want to... Then there's, of course, the psychedelic streak in which uh, a person can streak in various colors. Now, this is a, it depends on how well the colors are used as to whether it's artistic or not. Then there's the commercial streak. For example, it wouldn't be too difficult for you to uh, go about town and get the sponsors for your streak, uh, carrying in certain parts of your anatomy a small advertisement for uh, various things that are obtainable in the commercial market. Uh, for example, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be too difficult, I, I imagine, to get a few massage parlors to uh, to sponsor your streak. And, uh, you know, if you like this, try, uh, you know. <laughs> so 
So uh, everything has its value. So would you please go, uh, please, please, once more, I want to, I, I want to clear the air here just before we go into the crime and punishment segment of tonight's work. Everybody's going to find this. Yeah, we're getting the handle of the set. It's five, six, two, five, six, two. Oh, what a... Yes. Has anybody seen my girl? Oh, I know some lyrics here right at this point. Has anybody seen my girl? A little bit higher there. Right? 
And uh, yeah, you know, you, you've lived an exemplary life by earthly standards. And you arrive up before this great bar of justice. Yeah, yeah. How you got there? Well, that's another story. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there's a great swoosh, and you go down the chute, and whoop, like that. And uh, yeah, it, can you imagine going to heaven like being sent to one of those pneumatic tubes that they have? You, you ever seen the old department stores? There's still a lot of them around where they put this little round piece of metal, a little tin can, they put your money in it, they stick it in this chute, it goes, and it goes, see? And you wait around, and all of a sudden it goes, and the change comes back. Well, uh, I uh, have it. Uh, from the time I was a kid, I always wondered, it's a mysterious thing, you know? And uh, I've often thought of heaven, or going to heaven or hell, as being sucked down a giant pneumatic tube. <laughs> and you land there. <laughs> and uh, you're unwrapped, and uh, there you are. You're, you're before the bar of justice. Now, you're not in heaven nor hell. You ain't nowhere yet. You're in the, you know, you're at the place where they decide where you're going to get assigned. And, uh... Here's this uh, this uh, cosmic judge, and he's looking down from this giant pearl-covered debt. Somehow we always relate pearl to heaven, don't we? Mother of pearl. You know, I don't know why. I mean, uh, you never think of a desk as, say, a tasteful shade of burnt orange with a cocoa trimming, anything like that. It's always a mother of pearl or white somehow, you know? But nevertheless, here he is. He's up there on top of that desk, and he's looking down at you. And we always see him as an elderly citizen, right? with a giant beard, and he looks down, and the little echo chamber wouldn't hurt here at all. We're preparing our heavenly voice. Charles W. Bullard, Bullard, you have arrived at the bar of justice. The time has come for you to settle all your earthly debts and to be assigned for all eternity to your just reward. Shall you go to heaven, or shall you go the other direction? Ha, ha, ha. I am now opening the vast book of accounts to see just how you did when you were living at 1722 and a half Murder Avenue in the Bronx, New York, New York. Stand up straight, Charles W. Bullard. Pulling your gut, please. You must listen now to your eternal sentence. Aha! I have rarely seen a page covered with such an incredible pastiche of crime. There is no doubt where you're going. Why? What? Crime? What do you mean, crime? That's the problem, friends. <laughs> Are you at this moment, very, this very instant, guilty of a crime just by listening to me? You could be. Who knows? There have been those who have said that Shepard is the ultimate sub sub subversive, <laughs> rotting away the core of the brain, which is even more subversive than rotting away the laws, rotting away the, con you know, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, rotting away the core of your brain, suggesting perhaps that the you going in there tomorrow and writing that commercial for the pickle company could very well be committing a heinous crime against all of mankind that you may damn well pay for floating along the river sticks there, rowing that balter with canoe as the flames lap up at your old bottom and the screaming dead souls yell and holler and try to make it up to the shore. They never quite make it because Sharon keeps bopping them on the head with a cast iron paddle. Not that the 
I've had to Oh, we got crime and punishment. You want to know about that? Well, all right, all right. We've seen it, haven't we? We've seen the face of the defendants. Uh, that's one thing that television brings you in all the time. It brings you some guy constantly up before a gigantic inquisition, admitting his guilt. This is the, probably the most common uh, thing we've seen on television recently. It's replaced all the great old shows, you know, Pinky Lee, all them shows. Remember Pinky Lee? Uh, you do? Uh, you remember the hat? Pinky Lee, I'm Pinky Lee. And, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, this is all part of our culture. You can't put it down. Uh, but nevertheless, the sight of... Uh, and I'm, tonight, I'm being a surrogate for you. Any man today likes to feel that he is an innocent person. Uh, he is being accused by an unjust society of various acts against the common wheel. Uh, this, is a, this is a common, uh, and not only a common, but probably a perpetual feeling that uh, malfactors have always felt. Very few malfactors admit that they, you know, they were wrong. No way, no way, no absolutely. They were driven to it by factors above which and about which they had no control. Well, I was one time, and I, I, sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up in a quiet sweat, really a sweat, thinking of, of a... An, an, you know, what happens is, is any criminal, any time the, the crime has been perpetrated, the desire of the criminal to talk about his victory it's almost impossible to to uh, to fight down. I mean, if you if you have pulled a fantastic job, and uh, the back of your car, the trunk of your '53 Dodge, is filled with twenty dollar bills right up to the top, and you, know, you open up the trunk and they fly out, you've got twenty seven million twenty dollar bills in the back. It's not easy to prevent yourself. You know, some night when you're down at the Bluebird Tavern, you got a couple of you know a couple of uh, wild turkeys under your belt there. Uh, to say, well, my <laughs> God, you know, you're watching up the TV in the corner there, and you see these guys getting caught by, by Jack Lord and by Cannon and all those guys. So, look, uh, yeah, I ever tell you guys, you know, you guys ever wonder why I light my cigars with $20 bills, huh? Yes, the desire to talk about your crime is a terrible, terrible compulsion. In fact, novels have been written about this. What do you think crime and punishment was about? Well, I mean, Russ Kalnikoff, he could not, uh, ultimately, he had to say, I did it, I did it, I did it, you guys, come and take me away. Well, why? Nobody knows why. <laughs> it's one of those things, because crime is a form of competition. And competition, yes, it is. And, and, and uh, you're competing against the system. And uh, you, you, you're taking the long bet. And uh, most times you lose. But those rare moments when you win, a solitary, unsung victory is just simply not much of a victory at all. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if you broke the world record for the 880? Absolutely broke the absolutely known world record for the 880, and nobody knew about it. And you knew. That would not be hard to keep in some ways. And on the other hand, you could not have spelling it, right? Okay. I discovered this very early in my career. Uh, I have to suggest right here now that one of the best educational, uh, perhaps, devices, I think it should be written into every kid's education, is to be caught red-handed 
at a specific point in his life early enough so that it's a total trauma. And from that, from that day onward, he will be very, very careful. I have a feeling that a lot of guys that are getting caught in the big dragnet today have never been caught in any dragnet. They can, you can't imagine, say, Ellison getting caught off base in the third grade. He looks like a natural-born good speller. Holdeman looks like this guy can do algebra till, uh, till hell freezes over, doesn't he? Well, so, you know, you get to a certain point, and uh, you don't think it says yourself getting caught at anything. It's a... Uh, it's a <laughs> Whereas those of us who are caught early in our career think of ourselves constantly in terms of being caught. I'm, yeah, once, you, once you've been burned by that stark flame of retribution, once you have been part of a system where the axe is lowered on the back of your neck for an evil crime you have perpetrated and were caught right into that, you are different. I'm the kind of guy who drives through the byways of New Jersey at 5 o'clock in the morning at dawn when there's no other car in the road. We'll stop for a red light. There's no car within 500 miles. I'll stop. Why? Instinct. That's right, because who, how am I to know that that red light over there is not a cleverly disguised New Jersey state cop with a red light on the top of his head, you know? <laughs> I mean, after all, I've been taken once. Yes, it's the disguise that gets you. You know what happened to me? All right, I'll tell you the story. In high school, sophomore year, that's the time you start to go wrong. You know, you, when you're a freshman, you're a little scared. I'm a sophomore, and I'm kind of feeling kind of great. Next year, I'm going to be a junior. Springtime, sap rising. Yes, I was already beginning to put out uh, little shoots around the back of my ears. Nest of robins was circling over my head. They were about to start a little nasty there. The spring, you know. Nest of robins, sap rises, a whole bit, you know. The loot string of passion and desire was playing deep in my gut. And this was also affecting certain friends of mine. Schwartz, namely, in this particular case. <laughs> For some reason, rather flick totally escaped this dragnet. He was not even involved that day which was highly unusual because he was the leading criminal on our sect. But, uh, and it was a sect. But uh, on this particular occasion, we, 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 we went to big high schools here, tremendous high school, 3,000 kids. And it was a beautiful day. Now, we were only about a mile and a half from Lake Michigan. And when you live a mile and a half from a big, beautiful, sparkling lake, and it's uh, springtime, it's a uh, late March, and uh, one of those great 75-degree days that suddenly come out of, out of the hiding, and uh, you can just feel it, and it's just vibrant. So we were coming to school on this day, just like any other day, a little realizing we were about to have, uh, let's put it this way, a truly educational experience that had little to do with the geography of the Ural mountain chain which we were studying at that time for reasons I still have not figured out. But the, <laughs> nevertheless, we arrived at school about oh, a minute and a half before the bell. You know, they had this bell rang at 8.25. You know, everybody comes charging them. And the guys are milling around out in front of the school. And uh, it was beautiful. The sun is shining down. 
Well, me and Schwartz went around the back of the school. This is, again, I might point out, not a little country school. Now, for any point, think of this. It had 3,000 kids. It had four stories. It covered two and a half blocks, 30 blocks, gigantic school. And it is still there, operating strong. It looks exactly now as it did then. I saw it about a month ago, so don't tell me it isn't. It's there. Well, around the back of the school, we went around the back for one reason. Schwartz's homeroom and my homeroom were in the back of, of one of the floors. Mine was on the second floor, room 220. Schwartz was on the third floor. His was over in one wing, but near the back. See, some homerooms were in the front of the school. So we're staying around the front there for a couple of seconds, you know, and Schwartz says, let's go around the back. So we went around the back all the way around. We cut through the tennis courts, and there were a bunch of kids standing around in the back there waiting to get in. We had a big door in the back there, and uh, we milled around a little bit in the crowd there. Oh, it was a fantastic day. And the breeze was blowing, and uh, we sort of just kind of wandered around in the crowd a little bit. And for some reason or other, I cannot tell you, you see, crime often often occurs in a, in a, in a way that, that, in a sense, makes you believe that there is a supernatural, that, uh, that you have been driven to do these things. And this is why many defendants, when they're before the dock, will finally say, I don't know why I did it. He really doesn't know why he did it. <laughs> he doesn't. He's telling you the literal truth. Well, Schwartz and I drifted into, we were here with a bunch of kids, about 12,000 kids. Hi, hi, Cliff, you know, all that stuff. We drifted into the garage. There was a garage in the back of the school where they kept, you know, school vehicles. There was, uh, you know, the whole lot of uh, lawnmowers and stuff. And there was a big garage attached to the back of the school, and it was open. They had this great big door that went up, an enormous steel door that folded up, went up to the top, and all these vehicles were back there. Well, for some reason, the Schwartz and I drifted into this garage. Now, why? We never drifted into that damn garage hardly ever. But why today? It was warm. It was great. We drifted into the garage. It was kind of kind of gloomy in there. And uh, we were just sort of standing around back there talking. When we hear the bell, ah, it goes. See, and all the kids go, they're roaring like hell. Schwartz and I are in the garage without even any previous well, let's put it this way. Discussion, plan, scheme, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. I looked at Schwartz. Schwartz looked at me, and we knew we were not going into school today. We were not going into school today. So we stood there for a couple of minutes, and it's now very silent. All the kids have gone into the school. You could hear the school going on up there. You hear people you know, going up and down in the halls, and Schwartz and I stood there in the darkness. And at that point, we drifted out into, out into the concrete walkway, and along the side of the school, we turned left past the football field, turned left again, and now we're going past. We had this big round track out there, see? And... We, we, we just sort of drifted, not not running. We didn't want to run or anything like that. We were walking along, see. And we, we were pretending like we were, you know, we were working at some place. We turned right, and we ran like hell. We are free as a bird. Well, now, Schwartz had this car. He had an old car that we had spent a lot of time working on between the two of us one time or another. And we made a great big circuitous arc around the school 
back all the way around to the street where Schwartz had his car parked. A lot of other kids parked there. We get into the car, we turn it around, head it away from school, and 20 minutes later, we are out at the lake. Now, we're not going to swim. It's too early for that. Just being there, you know. We walked along, and uh, we were this big sand dunes on either side of us. We're walking along the lake. That was just fantastic. The water's lapping in. They had great beaches there, see, and the sun is coming down and dancing on the water out there, and we fooled around, and we, we were feeling the itch, you know, the real itch. If we only had a couple of girls here, it would be fantastic. <laughs> well, we, we walked down the beach, and we, we angled in. There was a big parking lot there, you know, it had a big bathing house and all that stuff, like June's Beach. Thing. We angled in, and sure enough, there was a, a big restaurant there, which was being readied for the opening of the swimming season. Now, I've never told you this story, because uh, now I think the seven-year limitation has passed, and uh, all of us can be, can be, you know, we paid for our crime. But uh, Schwartz and I are drifting past this big restaurant, and there were about ten girls out there who were the girls that worked there, the waitresses and all that stuff. You know, half of them had just got out of high school. You know, some of them dropped out of high school. There were about seven of them were about the same age as we were. So we start talking to these girls. And then there a couple of the girls that, uh, you know, we're only going to have a day today. Well, you know, why don't we go out and do something? So sure enough, the next thing you know, we are out carousing about with these two chicks. I remember one of them's name is Jane Hutchinson. I always remember this. Hey, we're having a hell of a time. You know, we're running up and down the beach. And uh, it's just, you know, a great moment there. And uh, we went out and ate hot dogs. And uh, we, we decided to go to a, to a show that afternoon, <laughs> which is really illicit. So we went in. We sit in there. We watched the show. And, uh... Uh, you know, we decided that this is such a great afternoon that we're going to have to make a regular thing to see. So we talked to these two girls, and they decided, okay, how about coming next Wednesday? And uh, this was a Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we'll get together. And, it, you know, we were getting to feel the excitement. So I'm walking down the street with Schwartz after that. It's about 4 o'clock now, remember. And the kids are starting to come home from school. You can see them drifting home. All around us, the kids. Schwartz says to me, and I said, yes, Schwartz. He says, wow. He says, you know, that, that door is something else, right? I said, that's right, Schwartz. I said, next time we won't be just running around on the beach, I suspect. And he says, oh, man. Holy. And you know how it is. The sap is rising. I said, listen, I said, yeah, you can have that door, but did you notice that, well, uh, <laughs> you know, that dream and uh, so uh, our plans are formulating in our head. We're going to have a spring of total debauchery. We have discovered something that uh, had never quite occurred to us. Little did we realize what was lying in wait for us. We had a great time. And so now we have joined the crowd of kids that are going home. You know, all kinds of kids. So we, we drive Schwartz's car down the street just like anything else. And I arrive at home. And my mother, you know, usually says, oh, how was school today? Oh, fine, fine. Oh, you know, what the heck, you know, what the heck. But, uh, she had no suspicion whatsoever. And about ten minutes later, I call Schwartz. Need to see if it's going okay with his stuff. I say, Schwartz. I said, did anything, anything happen to me? He says, no, no, she doesn't know what the hell's going on. I said, yeah, well, you know, grown-ups never know what the hell's going on, you know. And so I said, okay, Schwartz. I said, no, listen, we got to figure out something for tomorrow. You know, we got to go to school tomorrow. He said, well, okay. So that night, we got together. 
said, George, listen, we've got to write a note. And uh, let's write a note, and uh, we'll figure out something. So the next day, we arrive at school. We still haven't got the damn note written. We walk into the garage. We're in the back again. We walk into the garage. Listen to this. You ever heard a thing? We walk into the garage, and I write the note. Schwartz says, no, 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 no. That's your handwriting. You can't write that note. And there was a guy working in the garage, a mechanic. Schwartz said, say, would you write a note for us? The guy says, oh, yeah, what the hell? Sure, what do you want me to write? And Schwartz says, would you write down... Schwartz and Shepard had to stay out of school because uh, Mrs. Schwartz needed these two boys to help her because she has arthritis and cannot wash her windows, and they helped her find Mrs. Schwartz. Could you write that? And he says, sure, of course. He says, but you, you can't. you got to put it in the first person. I had to have right. So he writes it down on the hood of a Dodge truck. At which point, we grab the note, the bell rings, we go upstairs, <laughs> I take it into Miss Snyder, and she says, oh, I see, very good, very good. And Schwartz takes the note then and gives it to his homeroom teacher, who is Miss E. McCullough. Two periods later, I am sitting in history class, Mr. Wilson comes over to me and says, I've just got a call from the office, and I want to talk to you. Your office? Yeah, he said, I don't know. He just said, send you up there right away. To the first floor with the office. You know, I figured maybe they're going to ask me about why I didn't pay for the lock that I lost off my, uh, off my locker, you know, something like that. I'm walking. There's George! Oh, my God. We are both summoned into the presence. The presence in this case being the principal. He said, uh... Mr. Markovich down in the garage uh, tells me that he wrote this note for you, too. And uh, you realize, of course, that Mr. Markovich, when he's not working in the garage, works for us here in the truant department. He spends his time. My God, a think of all the people! We were suspended for three days. There was a note sent home to my mother, not by me, but mailed to my mother. A triplicate was sent to Miss Snyder, my homeroom teacher, was probably also sent to the FBI. And from that day on, Schwartz and I were assigned for the next two weeks after school every day with a pail and a can of Bon Ami to wash the walls of the lobby to the auditorium. We washed and we washed. She said nothing. I said nothing. We never really mentioned it much after that. We didn't get the beach much either. After that. Never did see Jane Hudson again. I don't know what the hell happened to Dora. All I know, the fear of getting caught. It never left. Never left. Yeah. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for in conversation, okay?